Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. We're continuing our sermon series in Mark. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles there, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask us, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, "Uh, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Chapter 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. The harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, and some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken a parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Who's the boss? That's today's sermon title. Who's the boss? There was a famous like show in the 80s. If you're old enough, some of you are like, I'm not that old, John. But I grew up in the 80s, and there was a famous show with Tony Danza in it called Who's the Boss, right? And it's a question I often I ask myself in my own household. Who is the boss? We all know it's Esther, right? I get the church, right? So Esther's the boss at home. But the kids, they think they're the boss too. 
We are not what's uh, we are not an easygoing, laid-back family. I wish that we were, but the truth is, uh, we are what uh, sociologists call strong-willed. Now, there are a lot of positives about being strong-willed and claims of leadership and being individuals and um, taking initiative and so on and so on. But when you try to agree on a restaurant or a song on the, on, uh, the play, like a playlist in the car, um, it seems like everybody has an opinion. And we wonder, is anybody following or is just everybody going in their own direction? Who is the boss here? And I can tell you what, it's definitely not me. Sometimes I want to ask my family or my kids, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority to do this? And today's Bible passage is all about authority and it's about stewardship. Another word for stewardship is kind of management, how you take care of things. Um, this, uh, by these Bible verses that we just read out from chapter 11 and chapter 12 have really five moving parts. And I kind of want to give you an overview of what's happening here. Jesus enters the temple courts and is approached by the religious leaders. That's number one. Number two, they challenge him, meaning the, the religious leaders, they challenge him with a question about his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? Number three is that Jesus responds with a counter question. Typical Jesus, isn't it? Don't answer the question. Ask another question with a question. I'll keep that in mind when I'm in a difficult bind sometime. So Jesus responds with a question to their question, challenging their own views and loyalties. The opponents, the religious leaders, then respond. We don't know. Jesus then answers the original question with a story called a parable. Jesus re-enters the, the, the temple courts 24 hours after he's just gone and flipped over the tables. So last week we looked at Jesus, how he goes into the temple courts and with the money changers and, and everybody there and what's going on. He's not happy about it and he flips over the tables, right? Um, and then he leaves. 24 hours later, Jesus and his disciples are back in the temple courts. And so, rightfully, the religious leaders, they go up to him and they say to him, what gives you the right to do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? Who, whose authority are you doing this under? And what the religious people, they're, they're trying to be really crafty and really sneaky because these religious people, they're just really kind of like, they're like snakes, right? They're trying to trap him. And they try to put him in between a rock and a hard place where he just can't win. And so if Jesus says it's from God, he might get accused of blasphemy and they'll be able to arrest him. If Jesus says that it's just by my own will, if it's the authority of man, everybody in the crowds are just going to be like, oh, well, he's not really from God. So um, he's just really, he must just be an enthusiast. And so he'll, he'll kind of like lose uh, some of the crowd in this. So what Jesus does is he brilliantly uh, asks them, okay, what about Jesus's baptism? Was it human origin or was it from heaven? Meaning, was it from God? And what Jesus does here is he takes his trap 
and he sets a trap out for the religious leaders. And so the religious leaders, they kind of huddle together and they kind of, they discuss it and they're like, I don't, uh, if we say this, if we say it's human origin that, about John's baptism, uh, then um, everybody thought he was a prophet. So the crowds, they're going to turn against us. Um, but if we say it's from God, they're going to think that Jesus has this authority. And, and what's really great about, about John the Baptist is, is that John the Baptist's ministry, and the religious leaders know this, the, the, the John the Baptist's whole ministry was to prepare the way. If you remember back to Mark chapter 1, uh, John the Baptist's whole purpose was to get ready, to, to, to pave the way for Jesus's ministry. He, he said, there is one coming who I'm not even worthy enough to stoop down on, on, and to untie his sandals, right? He quotes from Malachi 3 about coming of the, of the promised Messiah. Now, everything in John's ministry, his baptism was the one of repentance, but Jesus' one will be one of the Spirit. And so everything was pointing to, from, from John the Baptist. And the, the crowds, they loved John the Baptist. They absolutely loved their John. And they, they believed that he was a prophet, that, was, that it was ordained from God, his ministry, that he was doing and preparing the way. So the religious leaders are in a rock and a hard place. So what do they say? They say, we don't know. That's my, that's my very religious leader voice, by the way. In our Bible passage, we're moving on to the story about the parable that Jesus tells a familiar story from Isaiah 5, that, that, that growing up, that all of the, everybody who was Jewish would have known the story from Isaiah 5, and the, especially the religious leaders who would have had this down to the T. They would have been able to recite this verbatim, this story that's found in Isaiah 5. And it's this story about how God makes a vineyard, right, with his hands, and he prepares the way, and, and it does all of the right things, but what happens at the end of the end of it is that the fruit in the vineyard is completely rotten. There's no good. It's it's just got to be thrown out. And this was kind of a prophecy from Isaiah about the Israel Israel's judgment or their their coming judgment, and then then leading to their exile. So Jesus retells this story that they're very very familiar with. And, and everybody's ears are perking up. Let's, get a, let's just refresh ourselves with this story. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then re-entered the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat. Others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him the last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out into the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
The crazy thing about this is if you were to go back to Herod's temple, that's the king at the time, that this is the second temple that they had built. And King Herod at that time, uh, right into the temple courts, they built this huge gateway, like this big, these big gates. And as you entered it, um, what they had done is that, um, and I tried to find a picture of this. There was not a great picture that I could put on the screen of this. But what's really interesting about the temple gates is that there was a vine that went all the way up this arch and all the way down. It was a grapevine. So essentially, Jesus is telling a story about a vineyard in a vineyard, and it's, the story just kind of comes to life. In this parable, uh, God represents the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard itself is the people of Israel. Uh, which would, again, reflect the well-known passage from Isaiah 5, which the fruit was bad. But in this case, it's a little bit different twist, which we'll get to in a moment. So the vineyard represents Israel. The tenants are the religious leaders. They're supposed to take care of God's business, right? They're supposed to look after people, and they're supposed to tell people of God's truths, and they're supposed to serve people, looking after people, and pointing everybody to the truth about God in in his very presence in the temple. The servants are the prophets. So if you remember the Old Testament, like uh, the prophet Jeremiah, for instance, people didn't treat him very well. Uh, There's other prophets. Again, they had to run for their lives. These people are trying to speak God's truth, to calling people back into a relationship with God. And what do the people of Israel do? They, They kill these guys. They run them off. They're terrified for their lives. Nobody listens to any of the prophets that come. And the last of all of those prophets to come and give warning and and bringing people back into God's truth is John the Baptist. And if we remember a few chapters ago, he was beheaded by King Herod. So finally, the owner of the vineyard sends his beloved son. And the word beloved is the same one that we find at Jesus' baptism, right? When Jesus is baptized, there's this voice from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved So you should get a little remembering of that that story of of Jesus' baptism. But what happens? The tenants even kill the son, which again will tell what's going to happen to Jesus as they betray him and then they crucify him in the coming days. So Jesus finishes telling this parable by quoting Psalm 118. And maybe you remember us talking about Psalm 118. That's okay. If you don't remember, I'm just going to refresh you really quick. So Psalm 118 was one that they sang on their way to Jerusalem. As tens of thousands of people would come into the capital city, they would sing Psalm 118. It would be the final song they they would sing before the Passover celebration. And they just sang this song a few days earlier. At Jesus' triumphal entry, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means save us, save us now. Now, a little bit of the psalm that they didn't read out or they didn't sing on that day was also from Psalm 118, which then Jesus quotes right here, where he says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's the same crowd who shouted Hosanna that only a few days later will shout Crucify him. Crucify him. And it's only a few days later.
Ultimately, Jesus is going to replace the temple as God's main presence, and he's going to replace all of the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, they realize it at this time that they're going to be made redundant. And they are terrified of Jesus' popularity and way with the crowd. So they try to find a way to kill him. The cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most important part of any building, any foundation back in that day. It held everything together. That Jesus is the very cornerstone for the church today. That God's presence is found collectively in us, in each and every one of us, by the power of his Holy Spirit. So that when we're together, God's presence is with us. It's amazing. It moves from a temple to inside each and every one of us. And the religious leaders, they're not happy about this, so they find they want to go find secretly a way that they can arrest Jesus. They're about ready to lose their popularity and their prestige and their money and everything else that comes along with it. But the shocking twist of Jesus' parable compared to the original story found in Isaiah, which was the, the vineyard was rotten, But in Jesus' story, it's not the vineyard who's rotten, it's the religious leaders or the tenants who are rotten to the core. That Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with the people of Israel, but he does sure have a problem with its leaders. As we know, everything rises and falls on leadership. And those leaders, those religious leaders who are supposed to be bringing people into the presence of God, they've been nothing but bad, selfish stewards those tenets that have nothing but hatred for God, that God has nothing but love for them, but they have nothing but hatred for God. And not only were they the religious, they were terrible managers of everything that God had given them, but the greatest mistake that they had found was not, not only doing, being a bad steward, they thought they were the owner of the vineyard themselves. That the religious leaders, they had no need for God because in their eyes they had become king of their own castle. They were their own God. All the religious leaders care about, they don't care about God. They don't care about the people. All they care about is the control, the power, the fame, and they'll do anything they can to protect it. They're the owners now, so they can do whatever they want. But we wouldn't do anything like that in our lives, would we? We don't try to control situations. We don't try to make it about ourselves. Which brings me full back to our my first question at the beginning: is who's the boss? Who's the boss of your life? Is it Jesus, or is it you, or is it? how I find this kind of weird power struggle between you and God. And God never forces himself on you, but you, sometimes I, I want to trust God, but sometimes I, I don't like what he has to say, or sometimes I'm scared, or sometimes I think that my money or my possession are mine. And so I want to take that control back. I'm not fully reliant or trustful on God all the time. I think often we want full autonomy or control over our lives. Like the religious leaders who failed to know that they were just the tenants or the the stewards or the managers, that sometimes we see our time, our talent, our treasures, the very air in our lungs, the life that God gives us, we see it as our own rather than seeing it as God's. And everybody has parts of their lives that you're wanting to control. 
Maybe for you, it's money and it, or possessions. Maybe it's your home. Maybe you make decisions about your money like it's your own rather than seeing it as God's resources or God's money. Maybe for you, you've never asked God what work you should do. Maybe you're scared for a call that God has put on your life or maybe something that God wants to do in and through your life. Maybe God has a greater purpose for you. Maybe for you, uh, it's praying a prayer over and over and over again, looking for a breakthrough, looking for a breakthrough, but yet never being able to see that breakthrough. So rather than seeing that God has actually closed a door on here, maybe you decide to take matters into your own hand and say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do anyways, and I don't like the answer that I'm getting, so I'm going to give up on trusting God, or I get impatient for God or God's timing, and I'm just going to force this thing to come true. Maybe for you, you've never invited anybody to church or to share your faith before because you think that your faith is primarily your own. It's my faith, and it's up to me to share. It's my beliefs, and my beliefs should be kept private. And so you don't ever share your faith or invite somebody to church. Managing God's blessings and gifts is difficult because we have to let go for our need to control. And we have to trust what God actually has is best for our lives, that it's the most wonderful good. Not only are you letting go, but you're trusting that God has the, the full lordship over every area of your life. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's why popular phrases like today that we hear is, you do you, be true to yourself, or do whatever feels right. Don't work in the kingdom of God. It just doesn't work. Because everything in our lives, including sex, our sexuality, our money, our possessions, our career, our very relationships that we have in, in our lives, they are not ours. They belong to God. So who's the boss over your life? Well, I think that we can come to three different conclusions. You're the boss. If you're the boss, maybe you've become so hard-hearted or you want to be in control over your life that you've just shut Jesus completely out. You're saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going that way. I'm not going to take things to chance. I'm not going to trust Jesus. Or maybe you're willing to do church or do religion or a part of it, but you don't really have that full intimacy or relationship with Jesus because you won't let him close. Like you just keep holding him off at a distance. You're the boss. Or maybe you're a micromanager. Maybe you let God in a little bit or you say, I want to give you everything, Jesus. I want to do everything. And then there's this back and forth like a ping pong game. I'm going to give you this everything, Jesus. Oh, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to give you everything, Jesus. Oh, I'm going to take it back. And this is the one where I think is most common in the human experience. Like we want to try, we want to trust Jesus. We want to uh, find his will for our lives, but then we have copious amounts of stressing. We worry, uh, we um, we question God, we stress, we make plans that necessarily aren't God's plans for our lives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just this back and forth between us and God. But then there's the third one is 
God's the boss. That we understand that we're just the managers, we're just the stewards of everything that God has given you. That you receive God's blessings and gifts with open hands. That, that God's blessing doesn't just flow to you, it flows through you. And that you receive with these open hands more peace and more joy and more purpose than ever that you could possibly imagine. And most of all, you discover great intimacy, closeness in your relationship with Jesus. But the truth is that all of us, we struggle with parts where we, of our lives that we want to fully lay down and give over to Jesus. But the good news is, is that Jesus invites us in to receive his grace. He loves us anyways. God loved the tenants even though the tenants hated God. God gives us his grace, and yet he looks us in the eyes and he says again, come follow me. He gives those challenging words to us to follow him, to imitate his life, and do as Jesus did. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.